Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Luther Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham continues his interviewing series with part two with Adam Osier, who is the dean of the Free Lutheran Bible College. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Hello and welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. Once again, I am not Pastor Brett Bow. I am Pastor Jason Goodham, and we're here at the home studio at Faith Free Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis. And I have here with me today Pastor Adam Osier, Dean of the Free Lutheran Bible College. Did that sound professional enough for you? Actually, sounded pretentious, so it was oh, pretty okay. good. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'll work on that. No, it's good. I bet this was the shortest week of your life, Adam, right? Yeah. You back last week, and now you're here with us this week. Very short. Yeah. Uh, to continue a conversation we started last week about catechesis and Christian education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're going to make a leap here from the Catechism to the Augsburg Confession, which is the content the Being Lutheran podcast is currently working through. Mm-hmm. I did want to take a moment to start us off just so we don't overuse our terms without explaining ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain special meaning to the terms catechism and catechesis. Yes. A- and part of that goes back to, as much as I hate doing it, it actually goes back to the original Greek meaning right. of the word. And I feel like a seminarian all over again. Yeah, this yeah. total seminarian move. But the, the word uh, catechism uh, actually means to echo back and forth. In mm-hmm. fact, you hear the word echo mm-hmm. in, in catechism, or, or the Greek word is kateko. Mm-hmm. And so the catechism is uh, designed as a set content of material to be learned in a certain way. And, and so when we talk about catechesis or catechetical education or the catechism, we're, we're talking about a set material mm-hmm. and a certain type of learning for a certain purpose. Yep. You're jiving with that? I am. Okay. I am. So it's a word that's used differently at different times, and it's good to have those terms because that's one of those things that we, we Lutherans can be very poor at doing is defining our terms. So I appreciate that. Yeah, there's a lot of just assuming everyone knows what we mean inside of our head right. when we say yep. something. And yeah, that's we don't want to go there. Right. Uh, but now that we've talked about the catechism, we're going to shift from the material in the catechism to the material of the Augsburg Confession. Sure. Uh, that's kind of the next layer of material that we're covering in being Lutheran in the Book of Concord. Now, what's interesting about the Augsburg Confession uh, is that it is a distinctly a confessional doctrine. Uh, uh, in fact, when uh, Lutherans are asked what they believe, this probably should be the thing we do is just hand them the Augsburg right. Confession, yeah. right? Uh, the Catechism covers the basic foundations of the faith and kind of covers the Christian life. Uh, the Augsburg Confession is an ordered confession of what we believe and oftentimes what we believe in contradistinction to the Roman Catholic Church or to the Reformed end of things. Right. So A more systematic look at the different doctrines. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the points we've been hitting on in the Being Lutheran episodes is that uh, often Lutherans miss that there is a distinct order Correct. that is important to the Augsburg Confession. So uh, again, with your background as both a parish pastor and now as a formal educator, Uh, Talk about the uses of the Augsburg Confession in both of those contexts. 
Yeah. So in our society today, right? So we have a, a group of people um, that are super into theology. In my parishes, I've I've had those people. Like they're they're very interested in you know the Greek. What, where does this come from in the Greek? And I had parishioners who were very well versed in Greek, and so I could have those conversations. For instance, during an adult Bible study class, um, some people don't have a clue when you say the the Book of Concord. Uh, they have no idea. They think maybe you're talking about grapes or something, you know? And so <laughs> you, you kind of got this this broad spectrum of people. And so I'm always a little bit careful in how I approached that. I was not ashamed in how I approached it, though. You know, and talking about, uh, for instance, I, I think I referenced last week teaching a catechism 2.0 class in my, um, in my adult Sunday school class out in Pittsburgh. We brought in the Augsburg Confession <laughs> into that, and I was able to explain to them, like, where do Lutherans get their theology? And some of them, it was fascinating to see some of these believers, faithful, faithful members for, like, like I said, in their 70s and 80s, hearing some of these things and finally making those things click. Oh, yeah, I've heard of the, you know, I've heard of the Augsburg Confession. I've heard of the Apology, but... This is interesting. I never knew how it all played out and the history of it and why it's laid out differently, for instance, in the catechism. So it's fun to see that in connection. And so I would, I would use that as the basis of certain things. Uh, in this, in, now, as a, as a uh, dean of a college, but also a professor at that college, uh, at the Free Lutheran Bible College here, we have, a, um, we have a number of conversations with our students about things and different topics come up, right? So you ask, how do I use it there? One of the things was in, in Romans, right? You get into the doctrine of election. And one of the, the things that I think we as Lutherans do well, um, that, that I think really works well, and, and Lutheran theology has kind of borne this hallmark since Luther, is we let tensions stand. Uh, and there are tensions in the doctrine of election, most definitely. Uh, but to describe what we mean as Lutherans by that is we're going to get ourselves in trouble. If, I, if I'm going to sit here and try and describe to you off the cuff, you know, without having background, uh, what election is, according to the Lutheran perspective, for some of our students who are coming in from a more reformed perspective, you know, and the, the logic and the, the resolution of tension that they uh, would, would propose, right? But what about this? But what about this? What do Lutherans believe about this? I had students doing that, right? So I, I handed them, finally, I just printed off, or actually, I, I stole from the Book of Concord. I stole from the... the Thankfully, uh, it's public domain. Yeah, exactly. I stole from the, uh, the Augsburg Confession, the section on election, and I print, it was from the Apology, and I printed it off, and I gave it to the students in question. And then I just published it on our content management system. I was like, if anybody has questions about it, read this. <laughs> if you want to discuss this, come and talk to me. But this is where we need to go. And this is where I'm teaching the, the basis that I'm teaching from is from this perspective. Well, there's a lot of freedom in that too, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, we, live in the, yeah. we, we live in an era of this kind of attitude of deeds, not creeds, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or the era where doctrine divides or... Doctrine is this sterile, unnecessary academic exercise. Right. And, and what that comes from and what it produces, it's kind of a both end sort of thing, is this environment where we've taken talking about a personal faith in Jesus. And what that actually means now is we have a private, unique faith 
in Jesus. Mm -hmm. When you don't have a public confession, then you have a private confession and you end up being the Lord over that confession. And, and, you know, I've received pushback from pastors on doing this in the church and in my emphasis on these things, but there's so many practical real world examples where someone will walk up to you and we can take it all the way to 11 right away with the doctrine of election. Or we just talk about the Trinity. Right. Without uh, the proper grounding your average person, and, and this isn't me as a, oh, I'm a pastor and nobody else, kind of a thing, but your average person is unable to talk about the Trinity without committing heresy. Yeah. You know, in, in modern <laughs> like, America. Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, that's modalism, Patrick. You know, watch Lutheran satire. That's coming up Trinity Sunday in two weeks for from when we're recording. Yeah. I'm absolutely posting that all over my social media again. My son loves that. Oh, it's great. Yeah. But, you know, these sorts of educational resources free you from having to generate that material on your own. Yeah. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. No, exactly. Yeah. And and like you said, it's a starting point. Right. And it allows us to ground ourselves in it. Uh, it's interesting. I We have a common experience in our past on my first exposure to the Augsburg Confession. So this is this will be the time I disclose this. Adam and I more or less grew up together, uh, uh, going to the same Bible camp in the same district of the AFLC. We're both Eastern <laughs> North Dakota boys. Adam's from Valley City. Uh, I'm from Grand Forks. Uh, we both ended up at Bethany Bible Camp near Bemidji, Minnesota, which is where the Eastern North Dakota district of the AFLC did Bible Camp on during the our generation. Shores of Grace Lake. On the beautiful shores of Grace Lake. So many good memories. Yeah. So many bad bad memories. <laughs> the fact that I'm on this show with you right now <laughs> it's a, uh, is a, an act of God. Oh, it uh, is. Just in, in terms of forgiveness, uh, the things that I did. I was stupid back then. Yeah, we did and, not get along in high school yeah, at all. It was interesting. But anyway, uh, there was a pastor in our pasts from that district that decided one year at Bible camp for... Uh, flag-raising devotions, you know, the mm-hmm. praying at the flagpole and he would yep. do devotions, he was going to work through the Augsburg Confession at Bible Camp. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this. I, I don't. So we were there, and it's 7 a.m. in the north woods of Minnesota, and all of us have been up all night with all manner of shenanigans, and now we're trying to... <laughs> pro- what is this Augsburg Confession, and what is going on with it? And, and I had no idea what it was, but then I remember getting to seminary, like, is this the same thing that this pastor tried to do devotions with? But I don't think that's really all that unusual. It, you know, it, it more or less surprises me at this point, when someone's heard of the Augsburg Confession, uh, m- not to say that they even are familiar with its content. Yeah. And again, that's the failure of the Lutheran Church to put the confessions of the church in the hands of the people. Hmm. And and we're, we're really what the church is doing is we're hanging them out to dry. Yeah, yeah. And they're forced to be in the world without, you know, kind of these resources. And... and that ends up being more or less a perfect transition for what I want to go to. You want to say something yeah, well, first? Well, I'm just, I, I think about that. And what you're saying, you know, the whole doctrine divides and we want to push this away and da 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 da. That whole reality doesn't work in any other aspect of life. 
I think what, you know, the Augsburg Confession does is it provides precision in language in part, you know, that, that it's thought through and it's, you know, I mean, kind of stood the test of time <laughs> to borrow one of, you know, the, the downplaying of one of our former professors, right? yeah. you know, it kind of seems like it might be, you know, legitimate if it stood this test of time, you know, 500 and, years seems like a good buffer period. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and you see how that precision in language is there. It's for our taking. It's offered to us. We get to use it. It's the, and, and in a world where we're like, everybody's jumped on for their words that they use, you know, like in our society today. Right. So you have have all these individuals who, uh, you know, they spoke wrong, wrong one time, you know, they misspoke and they're crucified for it on social media or in the public realm, you know, and it's like, well, here, here, if we want to be careful, we've got this. Let's be, let's be, let's be aware. Let's be ready to use these things. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that, although I hate using it because it's politics, but you remember the name Michelle Bachman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when she was running for president, mm-hmm. uh, she's a member or was a member of a Wisconsin Lutheran Synod Church here in Minnesota. Right. And one of the things, which it, it's the most hilarious thing ever when you consider the press in the media yeah. in America, they jumped all over her because in the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope and in, in Luther's writing and everything, uh, the Pope is called the Antichrist. Yeah. And they they wanted to pin Michelle right. Bachman to the wall for that. And, of course, she didn't really engage in it. You know, on the one hand, it's funny because the press just can't stand the Pope unless he says exactly what they want him to say. Right. Yeah. But how dare you say anything yeah. against the Pope? Yeah. But in, in a situation where that would be controversial, guess what? We have the context mm-hmm. and we have the yeah, article absolutely. to say, well, this is why we're talking about it. anyone, any human who puts himself in the position of Christ right. might be the Antichrist. <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, in the broader context, they, yeah. Exactly. And we can explain it because it was well-crafted. It was well-crafted and it's a source. It's not, I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not some politician firing from the hip saying, well, the Pope's the Antichrist, ha ha. Yeah. No, this is a well-thought-out thing that, again, has stood the test of 500 years of time Mm -hmm. rather than the 40 seconds it took to post 280 characters on Twitter. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, So that's exactly the point. Now, what that kind of moves us into is this concept of formal education versus informal education. Yeah, and absolutely. There, there's definitely this blend. You know, we want to be training our members in congregations to be confessing Christians, to be rooted Christians. The, you know, kind of the job we do most as pastors is apply the assurance of salvation mm-hmm. to the lives of believers in our churches so that they can go out and live their lives mm-hmm. of vocation. Right. But how do uh, both catechesis and confessional documents. So this is a both end for both the small catechism and for the Augsburg Confession. The small catechism is a confessional document, but it's a catechetical document. The Augsburg Confession is a confessional document, but it's also a catechetical document. Mm -hmm. What does that look like now for you in a Mm -hmm. formal setting in a college? And and how are you using that? Because the, the motto of the Free Lutheran Bible College, just start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's word. Right. So how does this all play into the two years you have with 18, 19, and 20-year-olds and preparing them for life as functioning, contributing Christians in the real world? Yeah, I mean, I think 
one of my roles at the school as dean is to be uh, what what a lot of other colleges would define as the program director uh, in in different colleges, even Bible colleges, when you have all the different uh, you know generals and things like that, you have a head of a program. Well, we have one program, right, and it's the Bible program or department. Basically, we have music as well and some other things. But the um, the program as the program director, it's my responsibility to oversee with the board of trustees uh, and those the corporation above us and the, and the the leaders that uh, God has structured over us in that school to make sure that we are presenting a content to ground those students, like you said, in the word of God for a life of faith and service in his kingdom. And to do so, we need to understand those broad concepts and how that plays out. It looks differently. And, and I think we talked before about the, um, you know, how, how it comes in little pieces in classes and it comes, you know, just on little bits and pieces. Like I mentioned with the doctrine of election, right? You know, like, well, read this, right? So there's some informal aspect of it, but there's also a formality to it, right? So you need to have this structure. You, you need to have a, a framework or bones on which to build your content. And the Augsburg Confession provides us with a very good and clear structure on which to build, for instance, our systematic theology program. As we look at our systematic theology, our professors build on that particular model of the Augsburg Confession and the order that's there as well. We've just been, one of the things we've been looking at doing uh, recently has been changing up a couple of courses uh, and, and looking at the program to make sure that it's uh, tailored to do what we're looking, what we want it to do. Part of that's been discussion with our with our teachers, right? And, and with our systematics professor, uh, one of the conversations that we've been having recently is, is my, uh, I've been looking, how do we do these? How do we teach these things exegetically, meaning looking at individual books of the Bible and walking through the text, you know, how do we set that up? And his, his argument, his pushback on that is that's great. We, we need to do that too, but we can't lose the systematic. Some people learn in those ways. And he says, there's a specific order. We're doing this. And what order is he using? Well, he's looking at the Augsburg Confession is <laughs> what he's doing. You know, so our, our program and our systematics structure around that. Now to answer your question in, in the, uh, the, Looking at it, did you ask specifically? I got to ask this question again. Did you ask specifically <laughs> about the congregation and the school, or are we looking just at the school right now? Both. Let's, you know, yeah. you have this unique experience where you've gone from one to the other, but they're both fresh in your mind. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And one of, one of the things I would say then, going to the parish experience or the congregational experience that I had as a pastor, one of the problems and things that I regret looking back on has been not having that intentional order as well built in. And so that's kind of a confession. And so I might need an absolution here before this, before this episode is over. But the, uh, the reality is, is, is the intentionality of, for instance, the, the Augsburg confession and the order and the comprehensive structure of the catechism, I did not utilize in the way that I would, if I was going back into a parish right now, I, I love that structure. I love my mind works in structures and orders and, and uh, it's laid out well for us that way. So, so a little bit of that is a, is a confession that it hasn't been that great, although I think it should be. <laughs> and I think it would help pastors. It would, it would keep them from having to reinvent the wheel. It keeps you from having to be relevant or entertaining. It, it, there's content and truth from God's word that goes into the heart of the people, right? And so there's a sense in which I do feel bad 
about how that has, you know, it has been in my past. I've tried, but not in the comprehensive sense that is available to us in the, in the confessions, uh, you know, in, in general. It's so easy in the congregation to end up with a tunnel vision that is caused by triage, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. you're, they're, they're a parish pastor uh, has so many different kinds of responsibilities. Now, this yeah. isn't this isn't a commentary on our busyness, but just the variety of responsibilities that we have, and, and it's the formal education of the congregation, whether it's a Bible class, Bible study, Sunday school. Uh, most parish pastors are generally teaching formally in the congregation. Uh, we have preaching and worship leading involved in that. Uh, we have the quote-unquote counseling or mm-hmm. visitation, uh, and then any crises right. that crop, yep. crop up, plus all of the fringe things like we do. You know, Several pastors will write for their denomination's publications, right. or do devotional things like that. Some pastors have podcasts you know, <laughs> that they do, things or like this. Continuing education or yeah, things like things that. Yeah, things like that. It's just a ton of different things. And you really have to fight to get structure and intentionality out of that. You know, because otherwise, to fall into kind of a haphazard, just whatever crops up at the moment is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, then you look back, you're like, man, we haven't talked about any of this for years. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and there's two things about, about that. One is, it's a, it's a shame, because we, we do. The, the, and what did you use? the What was the word you used? Triage. About tri- you used the word triage, but what was the... Uh, we get caught up in the... The tunnel vision. Tunnel vision of triage, and, and triage mentality. And that's so true. It's reactionary to a lot of different experiences. To have that structure built for us, and, and it was, <laughs> you know, to have that structure built for us and is something that we need to take advantage of. The other thing that, that comes to mind, though, too, is when we think of I, our, our college is a two-year college, and we are strictly Bible. We are um, predominantly exegetical studies as far as our core program goes. Uh, we have practical studies and things, too. But we have a very limited amount of time. <laughs> so in that particular, if I have two years with students, right, um, I want them I want to be very intentional about our program that we're laying these things out. One thing in the parish that's nice is that there's cyclical um, blessings that come with a, a parish situation where I, in, in my previous experiences, I had people who had been in those churches for a very long time. I had, I had elderly people who were, were baptized in the, these congregations and confirmed in the congregations and now they had been there their whole life. Uh, the time that you have to work with people and to build those uh, foundations and those structures, right, are um, incredibly important and valuable. It, it, the, so the difference between the parish and the school is, are the, in the college setting, is is on the amount of time. One you have to be very, very careful and focused with, you know, especially just by lack of time. But then I think back to the parish, it should be the same way. <laughs> Shouldn't be much different. There, it should be the same way, although I have some freedom in the parish right now where, uh, like, I can teach Micah, which is the current Bible study here at Faith, right. at my own pace. 
I don't have to fit Micah into 20 class periods (laughs) or all of the minor prophets or, you know, things like that. So there's a give and take. You have a built-in structure and intentionality in a formal education setting, but you have time restraints. Right. Uh, A lot of time in the congregation, you have all the time that you need to teach on something, but you don't have that intentional structure, and that can cause you to lose focus or veer off to the right or to the left. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a process that has been um, God has been teaching me a lot, honestly, in this process. I mean, as He does all the time, uh, but the uh, the humbling aspect of it all it has been uh, to see, you know what? <laughs> you don't have to. This isn't about you. <laughs> this isn't this isn't about your content or your ability to entertain. This is about my content. Here it is. Do it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a nice uh, nice. Uh, picture that way. Yeah. I talk about how we as pastors have the most finite job description in the history of the world, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny because of all the different ways we can be dragged, but preach the word, administer the sacraments, and shepherd the sheep. Yeah. And shepherding the sheep is primarily, but not exclusively done by preaching the word and administering the sacraments. Right. Yep. And, and again, to lose focus of that, you're, you're going to wake up one day and like, how did I get here? Yeah. Right. And and that's the value as we wrap things up. That's the value of these confessional documents. That's the value of the content and, and the purpose of what we're doing uh, in, in these kind of, you know, what intramural, I, 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 these non-essential things like podcasts and things. It's yeah. to reintroduce uh, ourselves to and then reemphasize these foundations of the faith and, and these the, the faith as ordered and organized for the purpose of our own assurance, but also for the purpose of our confession to the world around us. Right, to fix our eyes on that, which which is important. The author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Uh, Amen. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Uh, Adam will be sure to be on uh, some regular episodes as well of Being Lutheran, but I enjoyed this conversation. Incredibly insightful for me. It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. God bless. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest information on the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.